My name is Lauren. I am so excited to be here with y'all. I am on staff with our churches. I work with Transit, which is our middle school environment, which is a ton of fun. Yes, some Transit people. That's awesome. Um, it is the best time. If you don't serve in Transit, you should sign up. It's great. You'll love it. Uh, just some things that you should know about me, because right now we're complete strangers, and I get that. So these are just three facts that I find incredibly important for you to know. I was born in 1993 in Clearwater, Florida. That's one fact. Second fact, I have a huge crush on Jimmy Fallon, and I don't care if it's weird, I do. And my third fact is I know every single word to every single song in all three high school musicals. So that's it, that's me right there. I spoke somewhere a few weeks ago and I said that, and one of my friends was with me and she was like, why do you say that like you're proud of it? And I was like, why are we friends? <laughs> like, first of all, let's establish, do you not like High School Musical? We should have talked about that. But that's just something that I love. And I was a middle schooler when it came out and it changed my life. So we are in this series called This Is Living. And I am so excited about this series. And it got me thinking about that popular hashtag going around. Uh, that's I, living my best life is what it is. So people tag this on Starbucks cups and pictures of the beach, and that apparently is the best life. So I was thinking about that, and I searched the hashtag on Instagram just to see what people consider their best life to be, and I was not disappointed. So I picked my three favorites, really hard to narrow it down, but I tried for y'all. And these are just some pictures that people claim that out of their whole life, the 90-ish years they're gonna live on this planet, this is their best life. This is the moment where they peaked. It does not get better than this. So I'm really excited. This is the first one. These are real pictures, okay? True. I did crop the name out just in case one of y'all posted this. I was like, I don't wanna embarrass them. Not that these are embarrassing. If you did post them, I just didn't wanna put you in a spot where you felt like you had to own it, okay? So someone really likes these chips, but my favorite part about these chips, they're not just pulled pork flavor. They're pulled pork wrap. So there's like a hint of tortilla in it, you know? <laughs> and that, for this person, was like amazing. It was their best life, the fact that they had pulled pork wrapped chips. So that was one of them. The next one, <laughs> do you ever have moments where you're on social media and you're like, I love and hate the internet? This was one of those moments for me. I saw this picture <laughs> and I was just so, I'm still confused. I have not figured it out. And the caption gave no story. It just said slime time, hashtag living. <laughs> living my best life. I don't know if it's from the perspective of the dinosaur that he's living his best life because he's bathing in slime, or if it's the person who took the picture because they have a dinosaur and slime. I don't know if it's supposed to be me who's living my best life because I saw this. No clue, but this dinosaur does have an entire profile if you're interested. Um, pictures of him in the snow and on planes. I can tell you more about it later. And last but not least, this dog. He is not living his best life, but his owner posted a picture with the tie, and there's a whole cabinet to the side full of bow ties, and the owner is living their best life. But I love that the dog is like, this is it. Like, this is your best life. This is, it. This is all we have. Um, 
And I feel like that's me looking through all of these pictures of people living their best life. So tons of pictures on Instagram if you're ever curious and want to search. There are some people in the gym who are living their best life. There, and then there's some at Panera eating broccoli and cheese soup out of a bread bowl, which I get that one. That was the one I was like, I understand. That really is living your best life. So that was a lot of fun for me to look through. But tonight, I wanted to continue this conversation. We're actually wrapping up this series Uh, This is Living, and we're talking about what does it look like to live our best life? And I wanted to talk about what are things that get in the way of us living our best lives? What are things that hold us back from that, that, you know, hold us back from all the goodness that God wants us to enjoy and to see and to live out? What are things that make us step back and say, oh, I don't know if I want to go out and live my best life? For me, for the longest time, I grew up believing that we serve a checklist God. And what I mean by that is, when I was in middle school and high school, my image of God was kind of this big guy who lives in heaven who just has a clipboard. And he's just keeping tallies of everything I'm doing. And whether I'm messing up, oh, she had a great day, good. Well, she had a great day. Like, that he, w- he had this checklist for me. And that until I met all the marks, until I checked off all the boxes, he wouldn't fully approve of me. He wouldn't actually genuinely love me. And I just felt like I was always coming up short, that I would never miss the mark with him. That until I did X, God wouldn't give me Y. That he was gonna withhold something from me until I completed the checklist. And I think it's for two reasons. One, if you think about it, we're assessed in many areas of our lives. Like right now, you're in college, you're taking tests, or when you graduate high school, all of a sudden your SAT score was so important to everyone. That's what they graded you on. But it's like, oh, but Kennesaw would really like my cute personality, but all they see is the score, and that's all they're going to judge me on. And, and then, you know, if you want to get into a certain school in college, you got to have the GPA, you got to have the grades, and you got to do the right things because someone is assessing you on this. Or to get a promotion at your job or to get a raise, someone is keeping up with you. Someone's seeing if you come into work on time, if the clients like you, if your team likes working with you, all of these things factor in whether you're going to get the promotion. We've always been kind of assessed our whole lives, whether you're on varsity or JV. So my struggle was why wouldn't that be different with my faith? Why wouldn't God keep up with me? Why wouldn't God have a checklist? And then also, I think there was this lie that was told to me in middle school, maybe high school, and maybe it was told to you too. I remember when you would talk about dating and relationships in youth group, and there was always this older lady, she was so sweet, had the best intentions, but she would say something along the lines of, well, until you're content or happy with God, you're not gonna get married. Like, he will give you a husband, he will give you a wife once you're fully content with him. What? Okay, like what does that look like? What, what do I have to do? Is a husband gonna come from heaven as soon as me and God are like super tight? What? And I just remember growing up like, well, okay, they have boyfriends and girlfriends, but I guess I'm not happy with God enough. And there was this lie going on in my head that God was like, oh, you're so close, yet you're so far. <laughs> I'm so sorry. And I, that's just what I thought. And here's some of the things that I thought would be on God's checklist for me. I thought the first one, obviously, going to church. Sometimes I do that. And, but now I work at a church, it's like, God, I'm, I'm technically there on Sundays, but if I don't send services, it still count? Are we still good on that? But growing up, I thought, okay, I gotta go every Sunday, I gotta go every Sunday. Second one, following my parents' religion. Well, that's tough. God says to obey your parents, 
So I, I should listen to what they're saying, but my dad was raised Catholic. My mom was raised Presbyterian, two very different gods. Someone was like, oh, you had judgment God and you had hippie God, and that could not be more accurate <laughs> for my parents. So I feel like I kind of fell in the middle of what is true about God? What does he actually look like? Because my parents grew up with two totally different gods. And the third one, getting baptized. Check, you only have to do that once, right? And then the fourth one, tithing a full 10%. Ugh, it was so hard in college and high school. You're like, but God, I only have $5 and I really want a burrito from Moe's. Like, don't you understand that I have to eat? I don't know if I can give you the full 10%. And is God, is there like a bank up there that he's keeping tabs on how much of that direct deposit's coming out to the church? Like how, is 10% really important? Like could we talk about seven? Seven was the holy number, right? Could we talk about 7%? I don't know why we have to go with the full 10. And then the fifth one is just never messing up ever. And I just felt like God, oh, she cursed today. <clears throat> like there was something that happened every day that God was like, oh man, we almost had a perfect day, but you ruined it when you talked back to your mom. And like, there's just always something on this list that I would never get right. Cause I feel pretty good about number three, okay? That was the only one that I was like, got it, like solid on that one. But four was a hit or miss sometimes. One, you're sick, I can't get there, sorry. And five, forget about it. Like, it was just so hard to have this mentality of, gosh, God is just keeping a, a checklist on me and I am not checking all the boxes. And it's exhausting to feel as if you're never doing enough, especially when it comes to your faith. But the good news is that this feeling isn't new. This feeling has been around for thousands of years and honestly, we might be feeling it because for a while that is, is exactly how Christianity worked. For a long time, there are a group of people who really did have a list of things. And if you did not complete everything on the list, God would not want a relationship with you. Or so they thought. See, there was this group called the Judaizers and they were Gentile Christians who adopted Jewish customs. So they were all kinds of confused and they had the gospel, they understood that, but they also put a huge weight on their own accomplishments, that they had to do something in order to gain God's approval. And Paul, the apostle Paul, heard about this and he knew it wasn't true because that's how he had lived his whole life for a long time. And y'all been going through the book of Philippians and I'm gonna be in chapter three tonight where Paul is writing to this group and he's saying, hey, there might be a different way of living. Your best life might look a little different. And this is what he writes in chapter three, starting in verse four. He says, if someone else thinks that they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. So right off the bat, Paul is like, oh, you think you have some accomplishments under your belt. Well, you just wait. I have done everything. Listen, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul comes right out of the gate. He's like, I know you think your accomplishments are important, but listen, if anyone here should have gained God's approval solely on their achievements, it's me. I did everything you could possibly think of that I thought God needed to see for him to approve of me, for him to really love me. I tried it all, I did it all, but it didn't work. And he goes on 
And he says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And I love that he starts with the word gains. These things that I used to do were measurable. There were things that I could add, there were trophies I could put on the case, there were ribbons that I could string up, there were all these things that I could see. I could count them, and I could tell you how many achievements I had, but nothing, nothing was better than the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. There's a value to that that you can't count. There's something that you can't measure. There is nothing better than knowing Christ. There is nothing that should be more important to you than your relationship with Jesus. But Paul isn't saying, because all of that doesn't matter, you should drop out of school and you should never work a day in your life and you don't need a savings account. Paul isn't saying that. He's saying, no, those things are important, but they should never be more important than knowing Jesus, than having a relationship with Christ. He goes on. I consider them garbage. I love that word. She's like, no, it's trash. All of that, it wasn't important, forget it, rip it, in the trash can, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. To try to be good enough to gain God's approval would be like running on a treadmill and expecting to get from here to back there. It's not gonna happen. It's impossible, it's exhausting, it's disappointing. It would always leave you feeling as if you're not working hard enough. Because the truth is, is God is saying, you don't, there's no such thing as good enough for me to love you. I sent my son, and he's the only one who could ever be deemed good enough. And I sent him for you, so that you could have a relationship with me. And there's no work that goes into that. You see, our faith isn't about doing, it's about knowing. Our faith isn't about checking all the boxes, our faith isn't about going to God and saying, look at what all I've done. It's about saying, I want a relationship with you. I just wanna know you. I want you to be a part of my life. Knowing that God isn't up there checking the boxes, or keeping a tally. That's not what he values. He just wants a relationship with you. And Paul goes on. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind Straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, listen guys, I know you think your achievements are important. I know there's this list of standards that you have to meet, that your great, great grandpa told you you have to do this. I get that. But there is something way more valuable. And it's understanding that God already loves you that you don't need to do anything, that your righteousness doesn't come from your achievements, it comes from Jesus, that his righteousness becomes our righteousness. 
And if we just keep our eyes on the prize, if we keep our eyes forward and just have a relationship with Jesus, that is where we'll experience our best life. Paul is saying, don't look behind you. Don't spend time looking behind at what you used to be, that you used to be caught up in doing enough, that you used to think you have to do all these things. Don't, don't look behind you. Just keep your eyes ahead. Because looking behind will trip you up. It will slow you down. You see, you've probably been sitting here all night thinking, man, this girl looks like a runner. First of all, I'm flattered. Second of all, it's not true. I tried it once, horrible. So junior year in high school, all my friends decided they were gonna go on the cross country team and they talked me into it. You know in high school they tell you, watch out for the friends that peer pressure you into alcohol and drugs. Okay, well watch out for the friends who peer pressure you into sports. They are not your friends. They just know that you're gonna be worse than them so if they get you on the team, I'm pretty sure my friends are like, as long as I beat Lauren, we're good. So I did cross country one season, and somehow I made JV. It was fine. I wasn't expecting varsity. We're good with JV, whatever. I was hoping to get a letter to put on a letterman jacket that I didn't own, so I don't know why I even cared about that. But I got on JV, and we had a race one day. And all the varsity girls were super cool. And they were like, well, we're gonna drive ourselves and go out and eat beforehand. And I was like, okay, fine, I'll take the bus. And I was the oldest one on JV too. So it was like all the junior and senior girls were going out to eat and me and the freshmen and sophomores were hanging out on the bus. So we get to this race and the girls meet us there, the varsity girls meet us there. We're all lined up to run and we start running. And it's fine, I'm a light jogger, okay? So I'm running and all of a sudden I see one of the varsity girls vomiting in a bush. I was like, oh no, this is terrible. But I kept running because I was like, well, I can beat her. So <laughs> I kept running. And then I see another varsity girl down for the count. I was like, oh man, it was like a scene from The Walking Dead. Third one down, I get to the fourth girl who's one of my good friends. I was like, Kelsey, what's going on? She was like, just keep going. Like we're in a war movie or something. I was like, okay. So I just kept running past all the girls. So guess who came in first for her high school at a race on cross country? Me. I don't know how I did it. I came across the finish line like Rocky at the top of the stairs. I was like, what happened? My coach was so confused. Like, where are all the other girls? Why are you here of all people? My parents weren't even there. They were not proud of me for running cross country. I like called them. I was like, I came in first. They were like, overall? And I was like, no, 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 no. Just for the school. Like, my time was still terrible, but everyone was literally throwing up. And that's how I came in first for the team. So, totally went to my head and the next day we get to practice and the coach has this whiteboard up and it has the current rankings. Well, I'm number one. And I went to the coach and I was like, listen, we all know this was a fluke. Like, don't do this to yourself. Don't do this to me. And he was like, no, whatever you place is how you practice. And I was like, no, literally everyone had food poisoning. Like that this is just not fair. So he, you know, there's some high school coaches that are so sweet and they're great, and then there's some who think they're training Olympians. And I want to be like, listen, it's me. Like, let's calm down. We all know I'm not going far in running, literally. But <laughs> whatever. So he was like, well, if you're varsity, you're doing 45-second sprints around a track. Are you kidding? Okay, so we start sprinting. I'm not a sprinter. But I'm going around the track. I do one lap. And I'm on my second lap. I feel like my knees are about to detach from my legs. This is the worst. All of a sudden, the asthma I had when I was four years old is like flaring up. And I make a huge mistake, crucial mistake. 
I hear people coming up behind me. So I turn around and I look over my shoulder and I fall flat on my face in the middle of the track. The varsity girls are like running around me now because I'm just laying there, literally just roll off the track. Like, <laughs> and my coach comes over like, what's wrong? Like, what's wrong? I can tell you what's wrong. This is not me, I shouldn't be here. And he was like, well, it was all because you turned around. It was all because you looked over your shoulder. It was all because you got distracted by what was happening behind you. End of that story, just so you know, and you have closure. I quit cross country that day, but anyway, we're moving on. And I really, I really do think that maybe if I had just kept forward, I could have at least finished the second lap. I could have at least kept some dignity and walked off the track and not rolled away. But I do think that Paul is right when he says, if you turn around, if you get so caught up in what's already happened and what's going on behind you, and you lose focus of where you're going, it will throw you off track. It will really mess with your focus. You'll lose sight of Jesus, you'll lose sight of where you're heading, and it will just confuse you, it will blur your vision, it will not help you. And I think what Paul is getting at is, hey, those thoughts that you used to have about God, the way you used to view your faith, you don't live there anymore. That's not, that's not you anymore, because you know that's not true. And the sin you committed, leave it back there. The regret you have, the mistake you made, the varsity girls, leave them all back there. You don't live there anymore. That's not you. You gotta keep your eyes ahead. And I think it's so easy to get distracted. I think it's so easy to get caught up in this feeling of not being enough and this feeling of someone's doing better than me, and this feeling of God's keeping something from me because I'm not, I'm not working hard enough, I'm not doing enough. But Paul's saying, forget all that. Just look ahead. Just look to Jesus. So maybe you're sitting here tonight, and you would say that your relationship with Jesus is definitely the most important relationship in your life. But my question to you is, is it your best relationship? Is it the relationship you're putting the most time in? Is it the relationship you're focusing the most on? Is it your best relationship that you have? And then maybe there's some of you in here who you would say, well, it's not my most important relationship because I don't know about this old Jesus guy. I don't know how I feel about this. And I hope you're at least willing to listen. I hope you're at least intrigued a little bit, interested a little bit, because I promise you, your best life starts with knowing Christ. Your best life starts when you decide that this relationship, the forward relationship, the relationship with Jesus, that is where your time is, that's where your priority lies, that's where your focus is. And I know this whole time I've been talking about a checklist or a to-do list, so this next part might seem a little contradictory, but that's not at all what I'm trying to say. I just think when it comes to our best life, when it comes to making our relationship with Jesus the best it can be, there might be some things we need to say no to. There might be some things we need to turn away from. And I'm not gonna quiz you on this. Like I said, this isn't a checklist. I'm not gonna come back next week and be like, did you do all four? I don't know. This is totally up to you. These are just things that I have found that I need to say no to in order to keep my relationship with Jesus a priority. And the first one is a closed mind. We have got to say no 
to thinking we know everything about God. Or to thinking we don't need to have conversations with people who aren't like us because we know the most. The moment you think you know everything about God is the moment God is like, oh, you have a lot to learn. We have to keep an open mind. We have to keep learning, keep growing, keep discussing our faith. Maybe for you, it's a relationship. Maybe you're in a relationship right now that, yeah, it's fun, but it's not healthy. And you know the other person probably isn't prioritizing their relationship with God, so they're definitely not gonna understand why you are. And there might be a point where we need to say no, where we need to step away. Because your relationship with Jesus should be number one, and you should end up with someone who believes the same thing. Maybe it's a friend group. It's a circle of friends that you need to start saying no to their idea of a Friday night because you wake up on Saturday with a terrible headache, but also saying that next Friday is gonna look really different, and then you get a fear of missing out, so you go out anyway. And Saturday morning, you feel the same. And it might be time to step back. You will never hear us say, you shouldn't be friends with people who aren't Christians, or you shouldn't be friends with people who are different than you. That's not at all what I'm saying. But I do think that in our lives, we have two circles. We have an inner circle and an outer circle of friends. And that inner circle is so important because whether you believe it or not, they influence how you view yourself, your life choices, how you view God. And if that inner circle is full of people who are not influencing those well, we need to move them to the outer circle. And we need to find an inner circle that's gonna encourage us and support us, pray for us, be a part of our lives. And we can still hang out with that outer circle. We can still minister to that outer circle but we cannot let them influence the way we view God in ourselves. Or maybe, lastly, it's busyness. Our society loves being busy because if you're busy, you're important. And who doesn't wanna be important? You're succeeding, you're popular. If you got a lot going on, everyone thinks you're the hottest thing in town. But the thing about being busy, and I get sometimes it's unavoidable. Finals week, you're gonna be busy. There's just some weeks that are just busy. This week for me is packed, but next week, I don't have any friends. So it, it looks different every week, I know that. But when we get so busy that our quiet time is the first thing that goes, or time for prayer is the first thing we say, I'll get to that later, we, we've gotta start moving things around. We might need to be saying no. And maybe it's just setting an alarm 15 minutes earlier. I know that sounds terrible, but Maybe it's going to bed 10 minutes early. It's just doing something, adding that time in, because if we keep that a priority, then everything else will go way better than it would if we took that away. So those are just some things that I have found that I need to say no to so that I can have the best relationship possible with Jesus. But there's also some things I think we need to say yes to. There's some things that we need more of in our life, and, and these things are not things you have to do God didn't send me like a royal decree earlier and be like, here's the checklist you've been looking for. That's not at all what this is. I just think these are things that I have found more of Jesus's character through and his love for us through. So the first thing that I think we need to say yes to is being at the living room. You all said yes, congratulations, check the box. But I think coming here every week, being involved in the small group, 
uh, surrounding yourself with community, that is going to help you with accountability. It's going to give you some encouragement, and you will find Jesus in the conversations that you have here. I promise. And then the second thing is serving. I just think, y'all, when we give up our time to be the hands and feet of Jesus, we learn a lot about what Jesus' life looked like and what it looked like for him to be a servant to people, people who weren't like him, people who were complete strangers to him. I think we just learn a lot about Jesus' character when we give up our time to serve. And there's a lot of opportunities here at Woodstock City for you to serve if you like or if you're involved in a mission on campus or something. There's always room and there's always a need for people who want to serve. Um, if you're interested in serving here, we can talk to you later. Transit is great. But I think getting involved somewhere and serving people, you're going to have conversations that you wouldn't if you didn't serve. So I would highly recommend that one. And then the third one is forgiving. And this one isn't as easy as serving. This one isn't as easy as filling out an information card and getting a phone call. Forgiveness is something that I have learned a lot about in the past couple years, and I've unfortunately learned that it's not something that happens overnight. That it's not something you pray the night before of, I am forgiving this person, and then the next day you wake up, you're like, my life is magical. Usually it doesn't happen like that. It's a constant choice, and it's a constant decision to hand the bitterness, to hand the anger over to God. And there are some situations that are toxic, and I understand that, and I, you should not put yourself in a toxic situation to prove forgiveness or anything like that, but I do think there comes a time where when we hold on to any anger, when we hold on to any bitterness, it will get in the way of our relationship with Jesus, and God wants to take that from us. He doesn't want us to walk around with this for the rest of our lives. He wants to take care of that, but it's a choice I had to make every day for a little while of, okay, this person really hurt me but I'm not gonna live in that. I'm not gonna live in that anger. I'm not gonna live in that bitterness. I'm gonna let God handle that. And then lastly, I think we need to say yes to the gospel. And maybe you haven't. Maybe your whole life you've thought that this religion is just a bunch of rules and requirements and it looks like absolutely no fun. And I'm here to tell you that's not true. And maybe your whole life you said, I, I'm kind of interested in the Jesus guy, but the whole Christianity thing, no thanks. I don't want these standards. I don't want these requirements. I don't want to be a part of that. But the truth is that we serve a God who sent his son to die a terrible, horrible death. And then three days later, he rose from the dead so that we could have a relationship with God. He did that simply so we could know him so he could really know us because he loved us so much. And maybe tonight you can think about that. In a few weeks we're gonna celebrate Easter and all that God did. And maybe it's time to say yes to that. It's time to say yes to God and all that he's done for you. And if you have any questions about that, we would love to talk to you. I would love to talk to you. Sam would love to talk to you. We would love to pray for you to answer any tough questions you might have about faith and about things that might be holding you back from saying yes to that. But I think when we decide that we're gonna have an eternal mindset and our mind is gonna be focused on what's to come and Jesus and the eternity that he's promised us, it's gonna change everything. It's gonna change the way we view ourselves. It's gonna change the way we view people around us. It's gonna change the way we view regrets and sin and all the stuff that happened back there. 
And, and Paul didn't stop earlier. He went on to say this. This was his final thought to them. He said, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. We eagerly await a savior. We eagerly await eternity. Billy Graham said, my home is in heaven. I'm just traveling through this world. My home isn't here. My home isn't me thinking that I'm never measuring up, that I'm never doing enough. My home is where God has promised my home to be in heaven. And I'm just passing through this world. And when we decide to focus on eternity, the fears of not being enough, the fears of failure, the fears of regret, all these fears that we carry with us, they don't go away completely because we're human. But gosh, the weight of them drops dramatically. They don't hold as much value as they used to over us. When we decide that our priority is Christ and that our best life is knowing Christ and our perspective is on eternity, it changes everything. You see, I see these hashtags, you know, living my best life, and it kind of cracks me up because there are definitely moments where you're on vacation, it's awesome, you're at Disney World, you're on Splash Mountain, and you're like, yes, this is my best life, because it is in the moment. But I hope my posture, and I, I hope this is true for you too, that even on my worst days, I would still say, this is my best life because this is where God wants me to be. This is exactly where he wants me to be. The challenges that I'm facing are challenges that he's entrusted me with. The obstacles that I'm facing are obstacles that he believes I will come out stronger on the other side. The celebrations I'm a part of are celebrations he wants me to be a part of. Every day should be our best life because it's exactly where God wants us to be. In the center of his will. In the center of all that he dreamed for us. So the band is gonna come back out tonight and they're gonna sing a song and I would love for you to just sit in your seat and to just reflect on the words that they're singing, to reflect on what does it mean for you to live your best life. But before we do that, I would love to pray for us. Father, thank you so much for this space the living room, God, for a place where we can come every week to learn more about you, to worship you, God, to have relationships that reflect your goodness and your joy. Father, we're so thankful. And we're thankful for your son and everything that meant when you sent him. God, it changed everything. And I pray for those in the room who have a relationship with you, God, I, I pray that they find ways to make it even better to say yes to things that are just gonna reveal your character to them even more. And Father, for those in the room who aren't sure, gosh, I pray that you remind them that you are pursuing them, that you love them, and that they don't need to do anything to gain your affection, God, they already have it. So Father, thank you for this night. Thank you for this ministry, thank you for your son. And it's in your name we pray, amen.